0: Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is David Firth, president and CEO at DataBlend. Prior to DataBlend, he built Leap the Pond, one of the leading resellers of Sage Intact, cloud-based accounting software, he sold it to Act Two, who then eventually got sold to Baker Tilly. He's been in the software industry for 25 plus years, with experience from every functional area of the business. He served on the exec team of six companies and has seen some some pretty astronomical growth. And he's got a a, a large range of stories that we're gonna dive into here. So much,
1: so much to learn, David. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show. Alex, it's great to be here, and it's actually great to to reconnect. I think the last time we did this was on the stage right of Tech Day, probably 10 years. ago. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I know
0: you are a wealth of information and you got some pretty amazing stories. So let's get started. Let's get started with data blend. And this is your most recent venture. Like walk us through kind of how did this come about? I mean, you had an exit you you went and helped some friends you've done consulting for a number of different companies across the board and now you come and you do data blend and this has been a, a great success that's completely bootstrapped actually to date which is which is a little bit a little bit cool of in and of itself how how did how'd you get
1: started and, and what problem are you ultimately solving so uh, you mentioned that i was a reseller of stage intact and actually the the founder the original founder of data blend was also a reseller and so he and I knew each other when I left act two after the acquisition I I was doing some consulting work and Ethan Carlson who's the founder of data blend asked me just to sort of take a look at the product and and give him a sense of what I thought the marketability was and and sort of how we might take it or he might take it to market and so That was my first exposure to the business. I I quickly realized, Alex, that Ethan and the small team at the time, there were four folks involved, had a tiger by the tail. Data Blend is what's called integration platform as a service. That's kind of the, I'll say the modern, you know, naming of what used to be called ETL, so extract, transform, and load. And, you know, essentially what we do is help organizations take information out of you know one system and orchestrate the data flows so that it ends up you know on the other side where it needs to be in the format that it needs to be and all that so it's it's really about streamlining the process of moving data from you know multiple endpoints to multiple other endpoints and you know the the focus that we have and the opportunity for there's some really nice white space you know when we analyze things in terms of integration particularly around the office of finance and accounting which is where we our focus is
0: yeah. So when you when you joined the company, what 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 did the org structure look like? <laughs> well there wasn't any. There wasn't any. So there wasn't really a sales go to market marketing. There's nothing That's there. Quite- so as far as when you get started and there's no go to market team, there's no sales team, I mean, like product and engineers are 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 great. Do you have any customers? Do you have traction? Do you know that this is the thing that works
1: and people want this yet? Yeah, so the, the really amazing part for me and, and why I, I really felt like uh, Datablend and Ethan had a tiger by the tail is because when I joined, the company already had about 100 people using the product. The product had been introduced. It was developed originally to serve the needs of, of Ethan's original business, which, which was the leading reseller of Adaptive Insights, which is a budgeting planning solution. And if you think about a budgeting system, it needs to get actual data into it so that you can compare budget to actuals. And so Ethan was looking for a tool to be able to extract information from all the different financial systems that people used and get it into Adaptive Insights. So originally it was a tool that he had, that his consulting team used, that he used in the sales process. And even though the product was originally launched in 2015, right, we didn't really go to market Alex, until you know, I came on board, you know, I did some consulting. I put together that go to market plan in twenty twenty. And then I joined the company full time in twenty twenty one to begin to execute on on that plan and you know, hiring the right people to be able to help in that regard. Well let's, let's talk about that.
0: So you come on board, you obviously see you see the pain point, you've experienced it, you've been in the space obviously with Leap the Pond, so you know like that kind of that world how do you get started? Like, I mean, is, are you, are you doing the selling and you're like, Hey, let me kind of figure out how to sell this thing by myself. Is it, Hey, let me put together a team and I'm going to start making some bets and guesses on how to do it. And we'll go from there. Like, how how did you think about
1: putting this all together? So the first step in the process was something that is, you know, commonly referred to as kind of a positioning and messaging workshop, right? So you sort of, You know, what we did is we went out and we interviewed the customers. We had the benefit, Alex, of having some existing customers and to learn from them how they were using the product, what benefits they were deriving. We interviewed the bees, right, to be able to sort of understand what they thought the best features of the product were and and things like that. And then we also looked at the competitive landscape and what products were out there that were doing similar things and, and, you know, how were they positioning themselves in, in the market. So that sort of from a data perspective and data I think to all of these things is always critically important, right, to, you know, collect as much as you can. Sometimes as much as you can is not very much, but it's more than it's more than nothing. So we had kind of this data, right. And from that data, we were able to sort of say, okay, Here's kind of what, how we believe that we can position DataBlend. This is kind of how we can message to this particular market where we believe we have a product that really adds a, a lot of value. And so, you know, our we we literally, you know, to your to your point specifically, came up with sort of this I'll say vision, if you will, that was centered around basically we wanted to offer fast, secure, and worry-free integrations. To accounting and finance teams in organizations with fifty to a thousand employees. So as that is the baseline, Alex, right? Then we could figure out exactly how we were going to get to the people that we wanted to sell yeah. that to. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. So, how, so,
0: I mean, are you are you hiring a couple of full cycle sales reps? Are you hiring a bunch of marketing people? Are you running ads? Are you going to events? Like, how do you even? So it's great that you have like a customer base that you kind of walk into a little bit, so you yeah, you have some data, but they probably don't have some great repeatable sales model that they're going to be able to share as far as how they came onto the team or came on as customers what what, what is
1: it that you did there? so again, my background, as you mentioned earlier, is kind of across all functional areas. selling was a big part of it, right? generating revenue so the first thing that we did when I came on board was to hire somebody to help us get our message out there, right? And, and really, you know, awareness becomes so critically important. So that was sort of step number one with me as the, as the, as the primary salesperson, right? So there wasn't, you know, we, we, we wanted to, you know, e- even though the product had been in use for, for a good bit by the time I arrived, I think we still needed to prove product market fit Sort of i'll say outside of the the client base that ethan had right where he was sort of you know where you know when i prior to my arrival data blend was something that sort of got pulled into a deal as part of something else and really when i arrived what we needed to do is we needed to make data blends kind of something that people wanted right based on the specific features and functions and, and the value proposition so getting out there and and being able to sell The product directly was, again, it it was more data, but it was something that just, you know, at the time, you know, I was doing. We also had an account exec, a salesperson who was kind of doing a little bit of sales and, and a lot of bit of a lot of work with our existing customer base and renewals and things like that, or, taking the orders actually from Ethan's business, right? And sort of processing them. So some, to some degree, a, a part of my role was doing some mentoring of him to also be able to take our message out there because he was a resource that we had available with some good sk- sales skills and, and just needed them honed a little bit.
0: That makes sense.
1: So you start to sell the product,
0: you have this other person who you're able to work with a little bit. Walk us through what does it look like from that moment to the time that you figured out that you actually truly had product market fit outside those first couple customers?
1: So one of the things that was part of our underlying strategy, and I think this is actually important with anybody just to talk about when it comes to go to market, right? I mean, I think there's always this assumption, Alex, that it's direct, right? So you asked me about who was selling. In, in the universe that we live in, so much of the technology that's acquired by accounting and finance teams is done through value-added resellers that's been the way for the better part of 30 or 40 years now. And so one of the things that we recognize very early on, Alex, is that if we could tap into those resellers and get them to sort of make data blend a part of the value proposition that they were offering, you know, to their customers, that would be, you know, critical. And, and again, I knew as a, as a reseller myself, that when it came to integrations, I tended to kick the can down the road because there wasn't really a good option. So to your point on how did we know, one of the things that I spent a lot of my time doing early on is, is having conversations with that community of resellers that I knew, and, and it immediately resonated, right? They were like, this is critically important to us. David, just like you, we kicked that can down the road, and it's a problem that, boy, if we could solve, we, we'd have more stickiness with our customers. They'd be happier. We'd be delivering more value, all those things. So I I kind of had a a a friendly and i think it's really important right for anybody to be able to have a sort of a a friendly group to be able to go to that can give you transparent you know feedback right on sort of what you're doing and the good news for us is that literally everybody that we talked to i mean again it's just we're lucky alex but everybody that we talked to loved the way that we were positioning the product when they saw it they 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 loved what it was capable of doing you know we put a lot of emphasis on trying to make this product as easy as possible to implement because we compete with doing it manually and so they really liked the fact that it could sort of replace that manual mechanism yeah. um so yeah so so that's, that's interesting <clears throat> so really what <laughs> what you did is you kind of said,
0: Hey, I mean, Leaf DePond was a reseller, so you were a VAR yourself for, for many, many years and you had a lot of these issues. And all of a sudden, Data Blend comes along and says, Hey, I can solve a problem that I had for the last ten plus years. And so really what I'm hearing from you is is your your sales approach was, Hey, I'm one of you and I understand your problems and I understand you know, what you could do versus what you will do and, you know, the wants and that types of things. But like you have problems and this is a major problem because I was one of them. And so you're really taking your own personal experiences and baking it into that. I don't want to say founder vision story esque type thing and saying, hey, this is the sales thing. It's not a pitch, It's not a feature thing. It is a story
1: to be able to get them to go. Oh, yeah, I'm the same. That's exactly right. So, it, from from that, you know, from that aspect, at least that first conversation for us, Alex, for me, was a lot easier. You know, yeah. I wasn't a hundred. I wasn't a hundred percent sure that I'd have a receptive audience, but I definitely, based on that experience, thought I would, and, yeah. and I've been really lucky. I think the other advantage, you know, maybe to your point that that we had in sort of putting this model together is not only did I know that that this was a problem that this community had but i also understood kind of the economic model that perhaps would get their attention in terms of why would they resell it you know it's not just because it solves a problem they have to have a return for themselves in their business and so i i i frankly leveraged a model that that i was successful under at Leap the pond yeah. and just brought it yeah. to data blend and It was easy for people to understand they had been successful with it themselves. And so I didn't have a lot of explaining to do, which also makes it easier, right? When people get it right away.
0: Yeah. Right away. Yeah. Makes sense. No, I mean, I, I, I have clients that are in the the channel sales model. I mean, I get that direct is, is a a very common approach that, that is often the advice that's given, but when you have a channel that is incentivized and gets it, it, it makes a lot of sense. When so you get product market fit, you adapt, you, you you evolve the story to be able to sell to these bars, and they're now essentially you've been able to go one to many. So you can sell to one bar who's now able to push it out to all of their kind of customers. What what does the team look like as you begin to grow? Are you hiring salespeople? Or are you hiring marketing people? Or are you hiring, you know, the the quote unquote customer success type people who are like really supporting the bar versus any kind of anything else? Like how are you thinking about building out this team as as you're starting to gain traction
1: yeah so the answer is yes to all of the above um, <laughs> i mean it's it's really you know over the course of the last two years you know we've gone from that core team of of five people that included the product and engineering folks a couple of consultants and 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 uh, the salesperson and myself to a team that sort of has all of the elements that you would expect to have for a a SaaS company. So, you know, we have uh, on the go-to-market side, you know, we had, as we sort of grew, people to, you know, basically support the channel, build and support the channel, because that was obviously a critical part of our strategy. Folks on the direct sales side. So it wasn't until very recently, actually, Alex, that we hired our first, commercial revenue leader. That was actually in December of last year, so just a few months ago. Yeah. What a phenomenal, we brought on two people from a marketing perspective, one focused on the channel and supporting the channel marketing efforts, another on direct, right? So we sort of had that commercial go-to-market team in place We have built out our services team, we brought on board a a fantastic leader of what we call customer experiences to own everything from sort of a little bit of pre-sales and implementation all the way through to supporting customer success. We hired our first customer success person, you know, as as part of the team. And then obviously, you know, the product management and engineering side has grown, you know, as, as well.
0: So how did you know when you're, when you're doing this and you're, you're saying this story and I, you know, I, I'm one of you, how did you know that you had product market fit? (laughs) Or here's, here's a different way to say it. How did you know that if you're bootstrapped, this isn't a VC backed play, or at least not yet. How did you know that it's like, you know what, it's time to spend some money and go hire a bunch of people.
1: Yeah. I, I think I, I you know, two signals that I, I'd look for. One is, you know, just around chatter, right? Are people taking your calls? Are they interested? And you know, and as I mentioned earlier, this this started with those partner calls, right? So when I would reach out to a partner and just initially socialize the idea, say, Hey, I joined Data Blend, this is what we're up to, you know, in almost every single instance, Alex, we had You know a a follow-on conversation so i i knew that you know from that perspective and the same thing by the way on the direct side were we starting to get some interest and you know my measure is are you having more than one conversation right i mean as much as you'd like to close in one conversation it doesn't happen so you need to know that people are, are taking your calls and then the next signal is sales so are you closing business right i mean are, are people at the end of the day the talk is good but you need to you need to have people sign you know on the dotted line and and show that they're willing to commit to the product and that was really the next nice. major signal for us
0: yep okay and when when you you start to get those signals and obviously you have your product in your in your devs and you have this one ae who, who's your next like two, three hires? Are these salespeople or are these more like support the channel type people?
1: Great question. You know, I think you know we're in the process right now of doing our first institutional raise. And when we look at kind of what are we going to do with that capital, there's the, the sort of commercial side of the business that we want to continue to grow. And it's actually a combination. I mean, w- we we actually, <laughs> our sales team right now is incented actually as much and commissioned exactly the same on whether a partner deal closes or whether a direct deal closes. So our our direct sales team that you're referring to really is helping our partners be successful on the sales side, right?
0: Yeah. And, and from the,
1: and, and so that's a really important thing that we're doing, you know, so t- that that we can sort of grow both sides together. So that's sort of, I'll say, the traditional sales front and sales piece. Yeah. I mentioned also that we have a, a director of channel marketing who's sort of focused on helping the, the, the channel piece. And then we have a channel enablement person, right, who's sort of helping with getting the channel up to speed, not so much on the sales and marketing side, but they've got to be able to, if this model is going to work and be scalable for, for us, they have to be able to implement, they have to be able to support and have a customer success program in many ways that looks just like ours.
0: Yep, that makes complete sense.
1: And when you think about the first first hire
0: or two hires, once you're like, all right, I'm talking to people, I'm getting good bit, I'm I'm getting a lot of chatter, I'm getting multiple conversations, starting to close some business. What what is the makeup? Like, what is the what is the type of person that you're looking for from a sales hire that that or, or a, a channel marketing person that's really supporting? Like, who are these people? How do you hire them to make sure you don't have this mishire? Because you have a, it's not a SaaS company. It's not a big giant, you know, bank or an enterprise type company. Like, there's a specific type of profile I would imagine that you're looking for. You've been doing this long enough. How do you make sure that when you swing, you hit the ball?
1: So, you know, I, I mentioned we just hired our first sales leader, right? And, and I think this is where you need to really make sure that you leverage the power of your own network. Right. And, uh, you know, our, our founder had worked very closely with the person that we brought on board and his name is Andrew McDonald. You know, his profile, Alex, you know, was a guy that started out working the phones, right. Which, you know, is, is obviously, you know, still a necessity. Even though nobody picks up the phone, it's an opportunity to sort of deliver your message and sort of create some awareness, right. A little bit of an old fashioned way, but, but it's still very valuable. And, and, and having that sort of as the core experience. And, and then that person kind of you know grew up and, frankly, in, in, a, in a variety of sales roles with increasing responsibility, but most importantly, literally delivered year-over-year year results, right, over quota. So you're hiring somebody who's got a proven track record. I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. I think the other thing that, that I will say is we tend to now, and it, the most important part of what I just said was that our founder knew him. Because I think it's really important not to over, you know, value the experience on a resume and hire from the resume and not hire the person and the Mm -hmm. attributes and the characteristics and the behaviors that are sort of presented through the interviewing process. So, you know, if you don't know the person, and again, leverage your network as best you can so that you do, but if you don't, the the experience is important, but the hire should be made based on the characteristics and the behaviors of the person. I've been talking about this
0: with, with some friends and I'm curious on your take here because so you're, you're, you pointed out two things. One is I'm hiring based on his experience. He's gone through the ringer and you can tell based on his resume, he, you know, step-by-step step, he can all the, he's saying all the right things, right? He can say all the right things around sales. Then you're saying I'm, I'm grading him on the person, right? Specific attributes, how he shows up his preparation, maybe coachability, those types of things. When you get to this point and he says all the right things, one of the hardest hires that I've ever had to make is sales leadership very, very early on. And what salespeople are supposed to be able to do is sell themselves more than anything else, right? They should always be able to sell themselves. How do you figure out if he's really the right person and knows how to do it versus (laughs) just sells himself
1: so damn well but it's kind of full of BS. Well, how what I you, use,
0: How do you figure that out?
1: Yeah, so what I used to do, you're not allowed to do this anymore, is I used to ask them for their W-2 because their W-2 really? doesn't, oh yeah, their W-2 doesn't lie, right? And and so that sort of, you know, gets through all of that. Unfortunately, today, <laughs> you can't do that. You can't sometimes. do that. You yeah. can't do that. And again, I, I would say, you know, th- there's a couple of things. Um, you can certainly put, a scenario in front of them where you sort of ask how they'd sort of deal with a certain situation i think that you know there's a there's an interviewing process called SIDS. it's a chronological in-depth interview where you sort of you know go back literally to where a person was born and have them sort of walk you through kind of their life and what's important to them and again so you start to begin to understand some attributes and some characteristics you know do they and again, it's kind of crazy, but it's things like, you know, connection to family. Do they have relationships to friends that they had early on in life, right? So you begin to get a sense of their value system. So that's sort of more on the character. And again, you're thinking about, you know, this is an important cultural thing, especially early on, right? You don't sort of want to have somebody that's going to sort of uproot them, things, you know, but then in terms of will they be able to deliver? Again, it's, you, you sort of, you press on style and, and, and to the way in which you know, you envision this product being sold, does their style sort of work, right? And again, I I think you can get that through the types of questions you ask, putting them into certain scenarios, how they deal with it, but it's really hard. And that's why I go back to what I said at the beginning. If you can hire early on from people in your network.
0: There's a trust factor.
1: Yeah. And and again, you just, you sort of know the person when that's not available, Alex, I think you, without question, you always also have to do sort of these backdoor references, right? I mean, we all are, are, have this advantage of LinkedIn. You know, there's a way that we can find somebody in our network that knows that person. And we can just sort of reach out to them and just say, Hey, listen, I'm I'm thinking about putting this position, this person in this position. What's your experience with them? Do you think they'll be successful? The other thing that you can do, and I'm just sort of, you know, a whole bunch of things, you know, you can you can do assessments, you know, at Leap the Pond, you mentioned the company that I founded, we really relied very heavily on something called the DISC assessment, which sort of looks at different attributes of a person and and not so much about whether to hire somebody or not, but when we got down to our final candidates, the DISC assessment would actually provide some insight and, and pro- give us some questions that we could ask or ask of the candidate to dig a little bit deeper. So again- any combination of those tools, if you will, I think, are invaluable. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. No, that's 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 good advice. Let's change gears a little bit. Let's
0: talk a little bit about building out the building out the actual go to market strategy, story, messaging, that type of thing. So, you 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 built out the initial story. One of the hardest things that I see, really, the initial initial kind of employees make versus the next step or the next steps of the employees is that transition from kind of founder led sales, lone ranger type selling. I mean you're you're obviously a very experienced seller, you know it, you've been there before. What what were some of the things that you put into place in order for the new hires that you were making, the new whether it was sales hires from a direct model or the channel model? What did you do to make it more repeatable so that you didn't have to kind of micromanage slash handhold the whole time? Because that was never going to work.
1: Yeah. So er- early on, I, I worked for somebody that had an expression that they shared with me, which is, David, when I, when I hire people, they're the CEO of their own domain. And you know, I I hire people that are smart, have the experience, are are, you know, willing to be independent. And I sort of the most important thing that I can do, you know, Alex, in that regard is hire those types of people, give them a goal, and then my job becomes basically clearing the field, if you will, for them to be able to go and, and, and accomplish that. When I took my first sales management job, I reached out to the person up to that point that I knew that was the most successful salesperson, And I said, okay, what do you want from your sales manager? And she shared something very similar with me, which was, David, I want them to let me do my job. I don't want them to micromanage me, you know, give me my goals, give me the tools that I need. And and let me sort of go out and, 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 and do that and then run interference for me when I need it. And so, you know, at our stage, Alex, you know, there's, there's not, there's, there's not an I I want to say an overemphasis on sort of you know too much process you know in in the sense that I mean again do we have a steady you know we have a standing I have a standing call with the head of market, with the head of sales every morning for 15 minutes just sort of how are we looking what what deals are you involved in what deals is Eric involved in you know so we sort of have that steady cadence there you know what tools do you need so we're constantly working with marketing to make sure they have the content that they need to sort of deliver but but. It's not they're not selling sort of by a a prescription, if you will, at this stage, we're still small, we're still talking to each other every day. And so I I don't know that it needs to be as bright as prescribed. To your point, we definitely at some point will need to ensure that there's there is a process in place that allows us to scale. But today, we're not quite there yet. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Did, what, when you were at Leap the Pond, what did, did you have to put in more process to get to that point where, you know, you're not so active in that? Or have you kind of always just been able to run your teams a little bit, I don't want to say flexible or a little bit leaner in such a way that it's not like like you have to follow this step-by-step process, yeah. which I know a lot of companies like to run?
1: Yeah, I I tend to be one who's a little bit more comfortable with, I'll say, more of a framework than a methodology, if you will, sort of like the methodology requires step one, then step two, then step three, and framework is kind of the guidance around it. To me, the most important thing for us to do when it comes to all of that is, one, very clear goals. What is it that you're expected to accomplish, you know, and over what period of time? So how many deals this month? Right, not just sort of on an annualized basis, because especially in the SaaS world, every month matters a lot. Frankly, every week matters a lot. Making sure that they truly understand the the product and the message, and who they're selling to, the persona of the person they're selling to, and then you know from there, really letting them rely on their skills and their intuitions to be able to you know move a sale a- along and, and take the right steps, because there's there's You know, there are definitely certain things that you need to do. For example, you know, I I ask everybody, you know, to make sure there's bans, right? I mean, budget, authority, need, timing, all of those things. But beyond that, you know, and and, and as long as they have those things in place and and they understand what the decision-making process is, then generally speaking, just let them go off and do what they do. Uh, And that may not be what you wanted to hear. (laughs)
0: No, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's no necessarily right way. I mean, you've been very successful in your career and building teams. And I mean, you, you know, this stuff extremely well as, as I do, there's no, there's no one way. And that's why I'm I'm curious as far as if you're, if you're, if that's how they're doing it, I'm going to actually take a step back. What does your onboarding plans look like? What does your like onboarding and training plan look like for all of your revenue producing, whether it's channel, like channel, direct marketing, whatever it is, what is the, what What does that process look like, especially at a small company when you don't have a ton of resources, you don't have a whole department that's like, let me walk you through this for the next six weeks. Yeah, like, so, that, that doesn't exist over there.
1: Right. Well, so first and foremost, hiring people that are familiar with the market that you're in. Right is critically important from an onboarding perspective. You know, it's it's sort of taking them through kind of in, a, in an accelerated fashion what a typical sales you know cycle might look like. Right, so you know, you know, walking them through kind of what's on our website because that's where most sales cycles start. There's that dark funnel. We don't know necessarily early on who's sort of evaluating us. So giving them an opportunity to, together, to walk through what's on the website, ask questions and understand it, right? Um, taking them through a typical pitch, right? Like this is, you know, when we have an opportunity to present, this is what we're presenting, taking them through kind of when we demo the product, right? What that demo looks like and then shadowing right early on until the point where you just sort of <clears throat> let them go. So again, it's, it's, it's more of a framework, but, but we're leaning right now at the size that we're at, 25 people, we're leaning very heavily on the experience and knowledge and understanding of not only the market that we're in, but but the people that we are selling to. So for example, the, the gentleman that we hired to be our commercial leader has been selling to CFO's controllers for you know, the better part of 15 years. Right, give or take. The person who we put on the ground in the UK to lead our channel, because most of the chan you know, the work in, over there is gonna be through the channel, similar, right? Very, very familiar with the market and somebody that brings an enormous amount of credibility to the channel over there because of that understanding. That's what we lean most heavily yep. on. Yeah.
0: So that that's interesting. I I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin because you just opened up a new whole new world that I wanna dive into. So you are you're on the East coast and you have a product that you can, you obviously can sell it anywhere in the world. But you know, a lot of times people will be like, I'm going to pick, you know, the, the country that I live in. And now you just opened up and said, Hey, I hired a guy, an experienced salesperson in the UK, which is an Island in and of itself just to be outside of the country on their own. Like, Walk me through, how how does that come about? How do you say, hey, let's invest into the UK versus, hey, let's continue to double down in the U.S.?
1: Yeah. So all these things are sort of going to triangulate around some. So I mentioned the channel is really important to us. We have one of the aspects of the channel that I didn't mention to you is that we also work closely with a handful of software publishers that basically bundle in our software to provide the integration capability that they don't necessarily have. So those partners happen to have a strong presence in Europe. So, and a strong network of channel providers in Europe. So that was sort of one thing that was sort of drawing us there. Our founder, Ethan Carlson, knew the gentleman who we ultimately ended up hiring and he was available, he was interested. And, you know, at this stage, you sort of hire great talent right yeah. and, and 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 sort of put them in a fertile ground yeah. and so you know adam is is a guy who sort of falls into that category you know we had an opportunity very fertile ground for us you know incredibly experienced and talented individual and so you know we put him there and again i'll go back to what i said earlier about everybody being the ceo of their own domain you know a detailed job description very specific set of goals and targets and, uh, you know, let him go off and perform, make sure that we're here answering the questions that he has as they come up, right, being incredibly responsive to him so that he can be responsive to the partners that he's, you know, looking to, to nurture and, and, and to support. That makes a lot of sense.
0: How did you figure out the software publishers play? Because that's an interesting distribution model that all of a sudden it's not just selling to VARS. you know, essentially are like baked in underground? Like, is that, is that just from your background that you knew this existed or is that from Ethan or, or how did that come about?
1: So the first relationship that we had was sort of in process. Prior to my arrival, Ethan knew the person who ran the channel at the software publisher, it's, it's Blackline, line very well. And you know, there, there was just a need for this type of solution. And the reality is most software companies, large software publishers, you know, integration is a challenge for them. And so, um, yeah. And so we, one of the things that we did in our product is designed it in a way that allows our our partners to actually private label our solution if they want to. And so, you know, and, and again, because we're young and nimble, we can offer them commercial terms that we were a little bit more flexible than maybe a, a, a larger competitor that we had in, in sure. the space. And so from that very first relationship with a software publisher, Blackline, you know, it, it sort of became apparent that there was an incredible opportunity, Alex, for us to pursue other software publishers in the space.
0: That's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. I like all of this, like one to many type distribution models where it's just like, Hey, you can invest into channels. You can invest into distribution and then they spider web out more and more and more. So you're not having to like to, to your point earlier, the common advice is 10 tends to be when you, when you're starting out direct, 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 but you, I mean, obviously you've done some direct, but like the channels are really going to be your not only do you need proof points, but also going to be your distribution strategy because you don't need to hire a thousand person sales force. Yeah you but can I, hire one to many type of thing.
1: So that is absolutely true. But I, I, I wanna to stress to anybody listening that when you decide to pursue a channel strategy, you need to be just as committed to supporting the channel as you would be and, and their success as you would be to committing to the success of your own internal sort of direct sales team. So whatever you need to do to make that direct sales team successful, don't think because it's a channel that you don't need to to make a similar investment and maybe even a greater one, right? So it's it's definitely leverage, Alex. There's no question about it. But nobody listening should think that it doesn't require a significant investment.
0: Significant investment. I mean, when you think about the way that the team is today, How many, how do you think about supporting the channel? You have salespeople, you have marketing people, you have a channel marketer, you have customer success. Like how many people support a channel in your mind? Or or maybe today.
1: Well, I mean, today, it's just it's sort of through a combination. I mean, again, you know, you, you, this whole thing is sort of about sort of from startup to scale, right? And, and and it's interesting because sort of now we're sort of progressing to more what does the organization look like at maturity? And I, I think from an advice perspective, Alex, the other thing that I would say is despite the fact that I'm describing to you that, that we're hiring really, really talented people that are capable and willing to do lots of different things, that you also have to have a very clear picture of kind of how things sort of evolve over time, right? So we, we have a pretty clear idea of what the org chart's gonna look like in 2024, 2025, right? And, um, and so the, the, the idea, you know, for us, right, is that, again, I, I, I like the model that we've evolved where our sales team supports both direct and indirect sales. I, I like the fact that there's not any conflict in that, that they're going to be comps no matter what. And, you know, frankly, we'll benefit, right? I mean, if we hit our numbers and it happens all through the channel, so be it. We got it through the channel. Right. And so, so that will continue to evolve as a traditional sales organization would, you know, under the leadership of Andrew, we'll probably hire more AEs to be available to support the channel as it grows. We'll certainly, you know, hire some pre-sales folks to be able to do it. I will say, given the price point of our solution, we are very reliant on good content, video content, so people can actually see what our product is capable of doing and don't necessarily have to see it live you know, buyers like to buy when, you know, on their time frame, not yours. And, 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 and I don't just mean in terms of closing. I mean, they literally want to look at something at eight o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, right? And you're not going to set up a demo for them. So giving them the assets that are available. So from an organizational structure perspective, having somebody that can build content that supports sales, both interact and direct is critically important. And then the other organizational sort of foundation, if you will, that we'll have is is around partner enablement, which I mentioned earlier, right? So literally having a person that has an organization underneath him or her that will be responsible for all the training of our partners and getting them up to speed on the product, being able to support it, being available to answer questions in sort of the heat of a of a project. Right. So that, you know, our partners are able to meet their deadlines to their clients and, and, and things like that. So that's kind of how we see it evolving right now. We're all playing a little bit of a, a role. In all of those things.
0: That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Here's a here's an interesting, I know we talked a lot about hiring. And you talked a lot about, well, I know what the org chart's gonna look like in twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five. A lot of the people that you're hiring are planning on being in the company in twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five. How do you think about hiring when you know you have you have big growth plans, you plan to add to the team? Like, do you try to hire like the people today? Like, you try to hire them as players today that should evolve into coaches later. Do you do you try to hire coaches that are willing to just say, "Hey, I'm going to figure this out for a year, two years, and then I can just go back to being a coach." Like, how do you how do you, do you hire based on potential? Like, how do you make that balance? Because that's that's challenging. I mean, the company is going to be com- quasi completely different in in the next couple of years.
1: We hope right? We definitely hope. So here's, for me, the core to all of this is, you know, creating a, a collegial rewarding, fulfilling environment for everybody, you know, and, and hiring people that are going to be very supportive of each other. And as I said earlier, sort of just, you know, are, are early on willing to sort of do anything, right? Now, even I, I will tell you, though, that You know where we stand today is significantly different than obviously where we were even two years ago so you know when we hired our sales leader andrew donald in december i you know that's a very specific role you know he he's the first person alex in the company that you know every day the only thing he's thinking about is generating revenue for the business right and you know when we hired him right you know his expert you know his his sort of art. Abilities that we sort of shared that we wanted him to fill were, yeah, building the model, actually, to your point, Alex, bringing more process into the mix, but being what sort of, you know, is commonly referred to as kind of a quota carrying sales manager, right? Somebody that for a period of time would be willing to sort of have his own quota and and be willing to go out there and, and get, you know, signatures on paper at the same time that he was coaching and mentoring, you know, our a current salesperson, but also with a responsibility to hire a team. So you know he can continue to grow into that to that role, and and I think that's kind of the model in general. You know that we're we're, we're sort of bringing on board. You know the person who runs services for us before you know didn't have you know a tremendous amount of experience running a large team of people, but we had every expectation that that was a person that could grow into that that role over over time and you know even as we've evolved because he was one of the early employees one of the the early hires that we made you know as as we've grown he's grown yeah that makes sense that makes a lot of sense as the
0: different stages of the company have grown and have shifted and evolved and obviously will continue to do you do any type of review on and and we can limit it to just the go-to-market side of the house Do you do some kind of a diagnostic check to say like, hey, where are the gaps that we currently have? Like, how do you get this fresh perspective? Because I know as a founder myself, I tend to be, you get into it, right? You're like, you're definitely down the hole, like you're in the business. And so it's so challenging to work on the business and really pull yourself out. And sometimes third parties help, sometimes advisors, or maybe the founder can help. Like, how do you figure out like from a go-to-market strategy, it's working,
1: as well as what are the gaps that you need to plug. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was asked a question a bunch of years ago about, as part of a survey, how much strategic capacity do you have, David? And I didn't really understand at the time what the person meant by that, but it's very much in line with what you're saying about sort of working on the ver- business versus working in the business. and. You know the reality is alex that i don't have a lot of strategic capacity right now right we're very much focused on execution and 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 delivery and and sort of meeting results but what i will say is that the founder and i get together regularly and as best we can we kind of try to have time to do that. That's number one. And, and and actually, every time we get together, right, we sort of go off on these really important tangents, right, sort of, you know, away from the day-to-day. The other thing that I've, I've tried to do is that once a quarter with the management team, take half a day and just sort of shut out all the email and shut out all of the other things that are going on and bring some topics, to sort of discuss that sort of help us spend some time, right, you know, thinking a little more about sort of where we want to be, right, than sort of what's happening in the fires that we might be fighting in any in any given day. But it's really hard, right? I mean we're obviously as a as a rapidly growing organization, you know, and and you know, with more and more customers, delivery becomes incredibly important, you know, whether it's meeting a, a product, you know, release you know, date and making sure that all the things that are supposed to be in that release are there. Whether it's making yeah. sure that we're delivering and the go lives in the time frame that we want early on, that consumes a lot. There's no, there's not, there's yeah. no question. And then reviewing pipelines and you know making sure that we've got enough in the pipeline to meet the you know the, the sales objectives that we have. It's it's very hard. I guess is the honest answer to create that capacity. You know, but it but it is also by the way why. Having this philosophy of hiring people that can really truly be the CEOs of their own domain, giving them very clear objectives gives you a little bit of time to sort of step away and let them do it. If you're not a micromanager yourself, which I am not, you can probably tell from the way you know, I've answered your questions that you, know, you, you should have some more time. But it, it's probably, in fairness, I would say one of the most difficult things early on to be able to do.
0: Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's literally what I do for business. And so I'm always interested to see how other people do it. Cause I mean, we talk about sales diagnostics all the time, but if you can do it internally, do it. I mean, if you're able to kind of pull yourself out and you can take that holistic approach to be able to work on that business and see kind of the chessboard, right? Like how are all the pieces moving and do you have your strategy, right? And sometimes you just put your head down and you're running and then you lift up your head and you're like, all right, where, where the heck am I? How, how do you catch
1: yourself before you get too far away? So by the way, I, I think it also, in in some ways, you know, when you've, when you have success, you know, you, you can sort of think that you don't need to do that. Yeah. Right. To your point. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just. <laughs> Be constantly reminded. I, I do think though, yeah. that having that quarterly meeting is helpful, having a founder who actually, in my case, and I haven't mentioned this before, but today our founder is not a full-time employee. And so I'm able to actually spend time with him and he's not involved in the day-to-day. So the kinds of questions that he's asking, right, tend to be less concerned about the day-to-day and sort of challenging me on some of those areas of the business.
0: interesting. That's an interesting idea.
1: Uh, On, on,
0: on this note, so curious as far as like, as you've you been doing this, you've done it before, you've been very successful, you sold your company, now you're doing it again. What would you say are the two best bets that you've made to scale revenue at DataBund so far?
1: One would be in hiring really good people, no question about it. And as I said, you know, people that we have experience with. The question is actually around bets and... To me, when I hear the word bets, it's kind of gambles. And one of the things that I mentioned to you very early on was this notion of, of, of collecting data, right? And so I think the, the the more information that you can have, you know, the less it becomes a bet, if you will, right? And so, you know, that that's I just want to sort of lay that as the foundation. But without question, when it, you know, if you ask me about the best bets that I have made, it's it's and i don't think of them as bets because i had data one is hiring really good people that we knew that that would would add value literally on day one that's a big piece and and the other is because of that research that we did it's it's being focused specifically on this marketplace looking for that white space that didn't exist or that, you know, that, that, excuse me, that did exist, where other folks weren't necessarily competing with us. And, you know, selling a solution into the Office of Finance and Accounting was, you know, a decision that, that we made that others have not, right? If you think about integration solutions, many people sell integration basically to anything, right? If I can connect using an API, it doesn't matter whether it's a marketing app or a sales app, a supply chain app or, you know, whatever, and we focused very much on a particular area. So people and focus are the best, you know, those are the bets that we've made that have really worked.
0: Now I'm going to flip it around. And you knew this was coming. What would you say is your biggest misstep in scaling? One or two, um, or, or, or you could look at it and say, what what are what are one or two things that you, you would say I, I would do differently?
1: I, I think that, you know, <laughs> with anything, I, I think that you, you you can't be afraid to stick to your plan, right? And, you know, we've been very fortunate. Again, you talked about my experience, right? And so I think t- too often, Alex, the misstep that people do make, right, is that they don't get the success that they thought maybe in the time frame that they thought. And so they sort of pivot too quickly. And we've been, I'll go back to that focus. I mean, we had a, a really good feeling of what we wanted to do and we sort of stuck with it. We didn't look for immediate gratification, and so I think you have to let your plan run its course. And so again, I'm not to say that, I'm not saying that we haven't made mistakes, but I, I wanted to use sort of this question as an opportunity to sort of explain what I think to turns out to be a misstep for others, which is just pivoting too quickly. Trust. Yeah, it goes back to the data. Right, like if you've done your research and you know you've got a product, you know eventually, right? I mean, you, you gotta have a little luck along the way. Yeah. But if, it, but if, if that data is is right, you know you're gonna you're gonna be in, in good shape. So that's kind of what I would say is is at least advice around avoiding yeah. the the missteps. I'll, I'll go back to something I did say earlier though about hiring, and that is that I do think there have been some situations where we hired people. In, in certain roles based on the experience and the resume, as opposed to the character. So, even though I know and I described the methodology, if you will, for not doing that,
0: yeah.
1: in the heat of battle, when you know you need a resource to be there right away, sometimes you actually look past your what you know are best practices. And yeah. so, that's also probably an important thing to share with people, you know, yeah. <clears throat> that, 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 you know, take a step back. And ask yourself, is this the, really the right thing to do? Am I following all of the best practices that I recommend to others?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's it, It's it's easy for me to sit here and say, or you to sit here and say, hey, this is what you should do. It's different when you're in the heat of the moment, pressure's on you, end of the month, end of the quarter, whatever it is. And you're like, I need some help. Like, this is what I got. Like, I got to make a decision. And you, it, and Yeah. It, it's different. It's different when you're in it than sitting on the sideline telling people what to do.
1: And, and so let me just add one other thing. And I know we're running a little bit short on time. When I, I started working for a company in the very beginning of my career called Turner Construction, Turner Construction was one of the world's largest general builders. And I, you know, like a lot of people, I was sort of this, this young, gung-ho, confident person. And I'd sort of look ahead and I'd see these people that were in these general management positions that we're just getting that into that position 20 25 30 years into their career and here I was a couple of years in going you know why should it take so long you don't need to and and to your question on the missteps experience matters a lot alex it matters a lot and so you know again we'll make plenty of mistakes but but i think the fact that you know i have the experiences that i have had and the team has the experiences that it helps us avoid them as best as possible. So what can you do in the absence of experience? Because there's lots of people out there that have great ideas and 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 want to change. And I think having somebody who does have experience that you can sort of lean on to look for advice, maybe it's somebody like yourself, Alex, right? You know, whether or not it's a formal consulting arrangement or it's a mentoring relationship, but I, I would say to people that, that are doing this with less experience than others, don't do it alone. You know, I, I think... I think you had a blog a post on 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 LinkedIn recently. Maybe I'm wrong, but you know, the best salespeople, the best salespeople use their team to close deals. They don't they don't try to do it by themselves, right? Early on they yeah. might because they think that's where the credit comes from. But the reality is the yeah. credit comes from getting the deal done. And if you have to leverage yeah. a whole bunch of people to get it done, go for it. And I right. think there's the, that's right. the same when it comes to sort of, you know, leading a company and 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 trying to scale it.
0: Great. Excellent advice. Well, let's wrap this thing up. And David, this is awesome. You are a wealth of knowledge. I bet we could talk for hours and hours more, and you have so many learnings. I want to leave the audience with something from you guys is favorite book, favorite resource that you recommend, Hmm. whether it's on sales, go to market, building companies. What do do you recommend to sales leaders, founders at, at, at the growth stages?
1: So one of one of the books that had a a real significant impact on me in my first management roles was a book by Pat Riley, the basketball coach at the time called The Winner Within. And it was all about building teams. and, And one of the incredible lessons, Alex, in that book is that you're either on the team or you're off the team. And I think that as a as a, a leader, whether it's a sales leader or you know any 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 role, or whether it's the leader of a company, you need to make sure that that everybody is playing on the same team with the same goal. And if you find that you have people that are not, that that's okay. But you just need to make sure that you find a way for them to to sort of exit. And so I love I love that book. I love the message. I also love the intensity of what it takes to sort of form a good team. So that, that's sort of been always my, my sort of go-to it's dated. (laughs) It's, it's been around for a long time now, but the message really resonates. That's awesome. How does the, how does the
0: audience get more of you? LinkedIn, Twitter, blogs, just
1: check out the company. What's the easiest way (laughs) to get more of you? So by all means, LinkedIn, but, but going back to that strategic capacity, as much as I love to write, and I really do love to write, it's been a long time since I sort of <laughs> sat down with, with pen to paper, you know, but I, I will say, Alex, I am very much one who likes to give back as much as I can. So if, if somebody reaches out to me on LinkedIn and and wants to just to connect, not just to connect on LinkedIn, but actually with a purpose and wants to spend some time on the phone, 15 minutes or a half an hour, I'll, I'll sign up to those every day.
0: Well, I can attest, you are always giving forward. You're always giving, 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 thank giving, you. so. David, thank you so much for coming onto the show. This has been an absolute blast. I cannot wait to see what what happens with Data Blend. I wish you guys nothing but the best. This is gonna be a fun, fun ride. Part two, ne- next story of your career, so. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll have to have you on again for, uh, for the second half when, when you sell it or go IPO or whatever else happens.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. And I really appreciate your inviting me to, to, to meet today. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much. See you later.
0: That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.